Hello and welcome to this episode of Smarter, a podcast by clinicians for clinicians brought to you by Marta, an Australian leader in healthcare for more than a century. My name's Gillian Whiting. And I'm Catherine Cooper, Clinical Specialty Coordinator for Mothers, Babies and Women's Health at Marta. And we're coming to you from Mianjin, the land on which this podcast is being recorded. Today, we are joined by Associate Professor Sarah Janssens, Director of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at Marta Mothers Hospitals. Sarah has been a specialist obstetrician and gynaecologist at Marta Mothers for more than 10 years and has been heavily involved in education and training, particularly simulation. Sarah is an Associate Professor at the University of Queensland and she recently received her PhD in Teamwork and Leadership in Maternity Teams. But today, she's joining us to talk about progesterone's role in preventing preterm births. Marta. Caring for the community for more than a century. Innovators in health, education and research. Home to world-class clinicians. State of the art facilities. High quality patients. Australia's largest care. and leading maternity scientific providers. scientific discoveries. Educating the nurses. Healthcare advancements. We are Marta. We are Marta. We are Marta. This is Smarter. Back to basics. What is progesterone and what role does it play? Well, progesterone is a hormone that uh, the female reproductive tract creates. Um, It's usually made in our ovaries when we ovulate, um, but it's got a really important role in maintenance of a pregnancy. And how we know this is that initially when we get pregnant, our uh, corpus luteum or the little area from which the um, egg has been released produces the progesterone. And then after about seven to nine weeks, the placenta takes over production of that. And in that critical time, if you take the corpus luteum away, we know that the pregnancy will fail. So it's really important for pregnancy maintenance. And what we also know about progesterone is that it helps to keep the uterus quiet throughout the pregnancy. And the very high levels of progesterone that we see in pregnant women's bodies fall precipitously as uh, labor start. So we, we, that's how we guess we know that's got a really important role in um, the initiation of labour. So I was going to ask about, you know, what made us think to use progesterone mm, yeah. in prevention of preterm birth. You've yeah. kind of answered that a little bit. Is that just a, a linear progression that we thought this has a role so we'll use it to prevent Uh, labour happening? Yeah, I guess there's been a lot more uh, science behind it, I hope, and and studies on what exactly that role of progesterone is. So it's a really interesting hormone because it actually has multiple effects. So um, within the uterus itself, it helps to prevent the formation of what we call gap junctions. And so they're the um, connections between the myometrial cells which help to propagate um, contractions in a coordinated fashion. So it stops them sort of being formed. It also has some pretty important immune modulation type um, effects that probably prevent initiation of inflammatory um um, pathways, which again can initiate labour. So it probably acts on multiple levels to um, prevent, um, uh, you know, labour starting early. Mm. How does it work once it's in the patient's system? Well, that's a very interesting question because, in fact, we would think that it works um, by 
increasing our natural levels of, of progesterone hormone. But in fact, later in pregnancy, our own hormone levels of progesterone are actually really, really high. And so it is questioned how, I guess, the addition of progesterone to our already naturally high levels, which are probably saturating our receptors, actually works. So there are some theories that perhaps it might work more locally within the vagina and be altering the um, vaginal microbiome or the inflammation or actions directly within the cervix that might be what its main mechanism of action is. So there's a lot we still don't know about it. So Sarah, we use progesterone for treatment of other things like breast cancer and endometriosis, even birth control. Does that work on the body in the same way? You're talking about maybe two different chemicals. One is natural progesterones and the stuff that we take uh, to treat um, endometriosis or what's in the contraceptive pill are a more synthetic form of progesterone and they're called progestogens. So they act in a different way and probably don't have any actual um, mechanism with respect to preterm birth prevention. If someone had been taking progesterone prior to conception, would that have a residual effect? Not really, we don't think, because we think that the half-life and the bioavailability is actually quite short, which is why we tend to use daily dosing. Yeah. In Australia, progesterone has approval from both the Therapeutic Goods Administration and Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme for prevention of preterm birth in singleton pregnancies where there is a short cervix or a history of spontaneous preterm birth. A streamlined authority is available for a daily 200 milligram pessary and must be commenced no earlier than 16 weeks gestation. Sarah, what types of progesterone are there? Yeah. So you can take progesterone in a number of ways. So uh, you can take it orally, although that's not... um, Uh, used in Australia for this purpose. And there were actually lots of studies in America where they used an injectable form of progesterone, uh, so intramuscular daily injections. Um, Unfortunately, the studies have shown that that actually is not as effective. um, And that's that was never actually available in Australia anyway, but it's actually been withdrawn from use for that purpose in America due to its um, lack of efficacy. So vaginal progesterone is now what is used here in Australia and is what is uh, most effective. So what would a typical um, progesterone regime look like for the prevention of preterm birth? So typically would be starting uh, around 16 weeks gestation um, or later if the diagnosis of a short cervix occurred later. Uh, and generally continue up until about 34 or 36 weeks, most of the studies have shown. Um, And um, usually just a nightly vaginal pessary of 200 milligrams. So stopping at 34, 36 weeks, why why that point? Yeah, I guess at that stage the risk of delivery at that gestation is much less uh, for the mother and I guess that's what the studies... um, or for the mother and the baby, and that's what the studies have generally used. So that's the funny thing about research, isn't it? Like we kind of, this is how the protocol was in the research protocol, so we would use it up until then, yeah. And I guess you know, your progesterone levels are going to be really high at that stage anyway, so. Mm. Um, so so if a uh, woman has been identified as having a need for progesterone, where did she get it? I mean, who prescribes it? Um, well, recently it's been uh, listed on the PBS for uh, women with both a indication as a history of preterm birth or a asymptomatic short cervix. So a GP can prescribe this. They don't ha- a woman doesn't have to come into hospital if a short cervix has been identified or she has that risk factor. So I think it's important because we believe that early initiation is probably going to be most beneficial. Um, so whoever sees the woman first can prescribe the progesterone. But of course, if she's identified at high risk then um, by a GP, she needs to be referred in for um, a review at a, at a hospital. So 
what's the efficacy of progesterone in preventing or delaying preterm birth? Yeah, uh, it's quite effective, but it's not 100% effective, of course. And there's lots of different causes for preterm births. So um, we don't understand all of the mechanisms. So progesterone is probably just one thing that's affecting one of those pathways that leads to preterm birth. But the studies have shown about a risk reduction of 0.6 consistently. So um, for preterm birth, say less than 33 weeks, we're talking about a difference between, and this is in women with a known short cervix, so we know that they're at high risk. So reducing that preterm birth before 33 weeks from about 22.5% down to 14.5%. So it's pretty effective. And then the um, the consequent, I guess, complications for the babies being being preterm are all of similar magnitude and reduction. So low birth weight, respiratory distress, needing to be in the NICU, they all come down, I guess, in um, concert with that reduction in the rate of early delivery. The meta-analysis from the same randomised trials demonstrated that in preterm births less than 28 weeks, the risk was reduced from 11% to 8%. Looking at the patients, who would benefit from progesterone and who wouldn't? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think we're still finding our way with that to a certain extent. Um, The indication for it is women with an asymptomatic short cervix. So that this is women who are not experiencing symptoms of preterm birth, like contractions, or they've broken their waters to get already, or they're bleeding. And that's the indication. So, um, so with the asymptomatic short cervix, and that's less than 25 millimetres on a transvaginal scan. I'm sure someone's already gone through that, so I won't go over that again. Um, uh, So that's the one, the group that definitely has benefit. The other indication and listed on the PBFs for progesterone is women with a history of preterm birth. But the benefit in that group of women is actually a little bit more controversial. And um, a recent meta-analysis demonstrated no benefit for women uh, with a without a short cervix, I guess that diagnosis and only a history of preterm birth, but it, it gets a little bit murky. So, um, you know, certainly we would advocate that if you've got a history of preterm birth, that maybe you should have saclage um, or you could have progesterone. But certainly, monitoring the cervical length is really important because we know that's the group of women who are going to benefit from progesterone. Having said that, not everyone has access to uh, regular cervical length monitoring uh, in rural or regional areas or women are socially uh, disadvantaged, for example. So we certainly don't think that it would be wrong to put women on progesterone simply because they had a history of preterm birth, but we would certainly advocate for um, serial cervical length um, monitoring because um, progesterone will only help up to a certain point. And when your cervix then is shortening despite progesterone, like it's getting less and less and say it's less than 10 millimetres now, that's a group of women you don't want to miss because they may benefit from a cyclage at that point. Are there any risk factors that would rule someone out completely? There's no absolute contraindications, I would say, to, to it. Certainly we don't tend to give it in women who have already ruptured their membranes or are in active labour or showing signs and symptoms of preterm labor because I think the point the however it's working you've probably missed the boat it once women get to that point how would the administration of progesterone change if we were talking twins or higher order multiples yeah well as you know they're at much higher risk of having a preterm delivery the data on twins is actually much uh, the same but much smaller numbers so there have been some meta-analyses that have done that have looked at all the randomized control trials and then pulled out 
uh, those small numbers of women with multiples to um, to look at that. And there does seem to be an effect. Um, some centres tend to use a different cutoff, uh, like a 20 millimetre cervix. We tend not to use that here. We still t- tend to go with a 25. But I think uh, certainly with twins, you're just on high alert anyway, but we don't think, again, that progesterone is going to be harmful, but they've got such a high rate of preterm birth already. You imagine if your baseline risk is much higher, you might still get a relative re- risk reduction of 0.6, but you'll still have an overall high rate of preterm birth, even if you use progesterone. What about, um, talking of risk, what about um, any short or long-term um, effects for the mother? Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of annoying having to put a vaginal pessary in every night would be the one thing. But the things that women mostly report are just um, irritation of the vagina and certainly they get vaginal discharge from the um, from using the pessaries. That would be the most commonly reported side effects. So an irritation. Yeah. What about the infant? Any side effects for them? I guess we know that because of the reduction in the risk of preterm delivery that the short-term outcomes for the babies are much are much better. The longer-term studies um, are smaller because we haven't really done a lot yet, but there was uh, some look uh, at uh, some studies, again, a meta-analysis that looked at outcomes from six months through to eight years um, and there was no uh, detected difference in neurodevelopmental outcomes, but there's a lot of outcomes that have not been looked at. Um, and we certainly haven't seen yet the results of these studies going on into adolescence or, or adulthood. Um, so there's a few unknowns there for sure. So would that be something that we would want to consider looking into the future of using progesterone? I mean, I think always uh, safety is always at the back of our mind whenever we're using a new therapy. I think natural progesterone... Uh, we've got no reason to believe that it would be unsafe, but you never know. Um, and so we must continue to do those long-term follow-up studies and check that there's no increase in risk of, you know, cancers in people um, who are born to mothers who um, had progesterone when they were pregnant or any other um, problems like reproductive tract abnormalities or fertility issues, for example. Um, we don't think there will be, but it's it, that's what we need to be doing in the longer term. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Smarter. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, we'd like to introduce you to a little segment we call The Checkup. So this is about the medical professional, mm-hmm. but also, Sarah, the human, the person. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got five quick questions. I'll do my best. Deep breath. You ready okay. to go? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What TV show best portrays your profession? Oh, goodness. Um, uh, can I say in my younger years, Scrubs? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, How would you describe your handwriting? (laughs) How would you describe my handwriting? I'll say no more. I chose that question especially for you. (laughs) Barely legible. I'm thinking that's not right. (laughs) Barely legible. What's on your surgery playlist? Ooh, um, you know, it's funny. I don't tend to listen to music too much when I'm operating, but I don't mind if other people... Uh, listen to music. I have this terrible verbal tick that I do lots of ums. And so whatever the registrars feel would drown out my ums. That freaks them out a little bit when we're operating together. (laughs) Who do you admire? Oh, gosh. Um, I admire everyone in our profession who who really dedicates their lives to uh, what we do and makes um, working with all my friends enjoyable. And final question. If you had a day off today, what would you be doing? (laughs) Cleaning and organising. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all, no. so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much uh, for that, Sarah. Thanks for joining us on Smarter. Thank you for having me. And also to those who've tuned in from home or the hospital. Please join us for our next episode where we talk about cervical cyclages with Dr Adam Bush. See you next time on Smarter.